0: My job as a leader is to make the people that report to me better than they believe they can be. I wanna make people better than they believe they can be to prove to them what they're capable of. And that's really where you change somebody's life. When you can show them that they're worth more than they believe they're worth, that is when you unlock just an incredible different human. Like I have some clients, I'm like, damn, I unlocked a monster in that <laughs> like he. You go from like kind of insecure to this just like absolute powerhouse of a leader. That's really like you are changing generations of a family when you do that effectively as a leader.
1: Welcome to another episode of Spartan Leadership. I'm your host. Josh Kosnick. And today, we got the big stud himself, Mike Claudio. After years in corporate America, he left that world in pursuit of working alongside other entrepreneurials, entrepreneurial-minded individuals, I should say, with a focus in the construction industry, which I'm excited to talk and dive in deep on because it's a unique industry that Mike is serving at a really high level. He thrives on establishing consistency, Effective communication and a world class experience for all clients. He's a keynote speaker, coach, author of Too Strong. Please join me in today w- in welcoming the CEO of Winrate Consulting, the big stud himself, Mike Claudio.
0: What's up, man? Appreciate you having me on, bud ma'am.
1: Well, I told you beforehand, I wanted to dig in a little bit on your past because it's a little bit unique as well. I've gotten to know you and diving into the construction and kind of blue collar world is different than uh, I think most people, uh, who seek coaching and seek building an entrepreneurial business. So was, tell us a little bit about your humble beginnings and growing up and to the man you are today.
0: So, you know, I think my, my relevant story starts with, uh, you know, I tried the college route and it didn't work for me. Um, I failed out of college freshman year. Actually, I don't have it. I never went back. It, it wasn't for me. Um, got a job in corporate America and I worked, uh, at Verizon wireless for over nine years, got multiple promotions. I was in the sales and leadership side of the organization. I was in the B2B space. Uh, so I did some retail sales, retail leadership, B2B sales, B2B leadership, um, realized it, it wasn't going to be a long-term solution for me. I remember I was like 26, 27. I, I mean, I failed out of college, got a job there at 19. Um, I was like 26, 27 going like, this is my future. Like, this is, this is what I'm going to retire doing. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. So I had the benefit of a good portion of my B2B sales experience was in the construction space. So that's how, like I learned about the industry. Like basically I was selling connected technology to business owners. So cell phones, tablets, vehicle tracking, stuff like that is what I sold. And so I really got to know these businesses and understand how they worked, and understand like like the, the family stories and those small kind of environment of, you know, really, and I'm not saying other industries don't, but I think contractors for the most part, the good ones really care. They really care about their employees and their, their families and their, their customers. And I think every industry has good and bad apples. And I think the construction industry has plenty of horror stories, but the companies that do it right really care. And I fell in love with that. And I, my dad worked for a smaller company when I was growing up as a kid. And and I always had a desire to work for a smaller company and a good buddy of mine was a remodeling contractor um, you know, trying to grow his business, but you know, wearing a tool belt and answering the phone at the same time can be a challenge. And so I was doing corporate America and he was looking to grow and I'm like, cool, let's do this. And, uh, I took like a hundred thousand dollar pay cut and went and worked for him for a couple of years. And that's really where I cut my teeth in the industry. And a lot of things I teach today, this was almost 10 years ago now that I got into the construction space and learned a lot you know, through failure, through doing it myself. And, you know, as a coach now, I, I don't want to say I pride myself, but I really try to focus on only coaching on and about things that I've done personally. You know, I don't talk in theory. I don't talk in concept. I talk about, here's what I did when I was faced with that problem. And then let my and I, I work with my clients to come up with a solution. Well, I learned a lot of it in that in that space. So I helped that company grow from a, from a leadership perspective, but not ownership. Um, went to a roofing company, similar story. You know, I took, both companies grew by multiple seven figures because of, of the, we'll say the knowledge and effort I brought to the table. And in that journey, a lot of people come to say, Mike, what were you doing about this? Or how did you do this? Or what would you do about this? And I started coaching people before I knew coaching was a thing. I just always really liked helping people. And I think I've shown that even in the conversations we've had, like you just, I'm clearly passionate about helping people. Yeah, And so in in 2017, I coached three companies, what I would call now coaching at the time was just like, call me if you have any questions, I'll teach you what I know, not knowing how powerful my knowledge base was, they all grew by multiple seven figures for free. Like I just helped them because I'm a caring person. So in 2018 is actually I was like, I got to monetize this. Like, I've, I've grown companies from a leadership position. I've grown companies with consulting services now. I should probably find a way to monetize this. So April, 2018 is when the LLC was officially created. Um, I was still vice president of the roofing company at the end of 2018. Um, I decided to leave that, that role and go full-time coach. And I've been coaching full-time ever since, you know, I've, I've, you know, I call successfully coached over 300 companies now in the last four years. Um, I say successfully because I've always offered a money back guarantee like if you don't get the value that you anticipate getting my working with me at the end of the contract, I'll give you all your money back. And I've never refunded a dollar uh, to somebody who's put the work in. I have, I have fired clients for not doing the work and I have refunded them their payment or two. Um, but I've never refunded somebody who's actually completed a contract. They've always, uh, we'll say successfully gotten the value. And so that brings me to present day over the last, eight months or so, eight to 10 months. I've grown my team, you know, this time last year, 20 list of this time in 2021, it was just me and Lindsay and my wife, you know, just a small team. You know, I have six coaches now, three support staff members, several, you know, we'll say third party, you know, contractors for content marketing and distribution. Um, but in the last, you know, eight to 10 months, we've, we've scaled substantially. And, Sticking to the one-on-one business coaching model though, I think there's a lot of great groups out there. I'm a part of many of them, but I think there's a certain amount of accountability that comes with one-on-one coaching. That's a more, we'll say, tailored, customized approach. And it's hard to scale that as an individual. And so over the last you know, eight to 10 months, I've really focused on how to properly onboard additional coaches. So there's six coaches on the team now, um, all either currently or previously have run a multi-million-dollar construction company. So we all have real life experience that we're coaching from, um, which I think does differentiate us a little bit from a lot of other coaching companies out there. And look, there's right and wrong reasons, right? I think one of the biggest issues, and we're, I'm off kind of off topic now, but I got here, right? <laughs> off. Just roll, brother. Uh, yeah, but like one of the one of the biggest issues I think I see with coaching and pro- professional development world is is that clients have an improper expectation of what they're signing up for. Let's use Arte as an example, right? That's where we met. If you joined Arte expecting to get one-on-one coaching time with Ed and Andy, you're going to be let down from a client perspective, but I think you came into it with the wrong expectations. Yep. So like you don't join a group coaching environment for customized one-on-one help. And I think that like a lot of coaching programs and coaches get a bad rap some of them are idiots, right? They're absolutely idiots out there in coaching, but that's every industry has idiots. But I think a lot of times like we focus on one-on-one because it's hard to get that level of accountability and and I don't want to call it hand-holding, but customizing the advice to your world and your resources and your assets because the same piece of advice is never going to be identical across all platforms. One of the best things, and Head and Andy talk about a lot in Arte, is don't take everything we say directly take it and interpret it for your world and your ecosystem. Right. I think they do a good job expressing that most people suck at doing that on their own. um, Which I know you've seen in the years in art you have the people who obviously implement and are are able to understand it. But that's why I say all that to say, that's why we are focusing and I'm trying to scale a one-on-one coaching company because I think there's a really big need for those who are interested in investing in a more tailored, customized one-on-one approach that it's just different. And I'm sure you've experienced a difference as well. Like there's value in all of it. And I'm in some coaching groups and I have a one-on-one coach as well, because I think there's value in the networking and being around like-minded people and getting more, we'll say, bigger picture advice. And then there's a like, hey, I need to make a decision on this coach. What should I do based on your experience? Because I'm in that process right now. Like I'm under contract to buy a commercial building right now. And I'm in the, I'm in the analyzation process of, do I move forward with this project or not? It's an empty shell, we're we're looking at, you know, six to $800,000 in renovation costs. Does that make sense? So I can call my coach and say, hey, these are the actual details of what I'm dealing with. Here's my financial situation, here's projections, here's anticipated expenses, what do you think I should do you're not going to get that from a group coaching environment. If, if I posted that question in Arte Facebook group right now, I'd have 99 stupid answers of people like trying to assume the details of my situation.
1: And all different and, and probably all wrong.
0: And probably all wrong. You know, like one time I remember I posted, like this is, like, might be one of the only times I've ever posted in the Arte group. And I'm not picking on Arte. It happens in Apex. It happens in a lot of other groups. But, you know, I said, hey, my, my numbers on my podcast dropped a little bit. Does anybody have any input on this? Like legitimately just kind of curious. And people are like, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Like, why do you even care about the numbers? And if you're caring about the numbers, you're really not doing it for the audience. And I'm like, you don't fucking know anything about why I do what I do. And if you knew me at all, you knew that's not a correct statement. I'm just trying to understand from somebody who's had experience in growing a podcast, I'm seeing a slip in my numbers. Do you have any advice? That's where having a one-on-one coach and why we focus on that, I think, is so important. because. You can get more of the nuances that go into an individual situation.
1: All right. Well, I agree with you as well, Mike. The I have a personal coach, one-on-one coach. I've always had a one-on-one coach. And one of the things you mentioned that I want others to hear what he just said, when he hired coaches and brought them on, they all had significant experience in the industry that he's trying to impact. That's one thing that he and I agree on is that there's too many people that are coming into this industry that haven't done anything significant in their life. So how am I going to follow someone that hasn't actually done what I want to do? And so I love the fact that you're hiring people that have run multi-million dollar construction businesses to help those that are trying to run multi-million dollar construction businesses. So
0: it's great work it seems on simple in concept, but so, so many people, I think, get lost in the Highlight reel of social media and the highlight reel of the value prop and the 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 promise of easy wins and money and like if if someone's pitching you it's easy they have never fucking done anything in their life because <laughs> it's there's nothing about it that's easy and it's ever going to be easy and if they're pitching you an easier way it's because they haven't actually I think accomplished anything of substantial because unless we're all wrong it's hard to do something of substantial. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. And anybody saying it's not supposed to be hard hasn't actually done anything. That's well, I don't say maybe, maybe they've done something substantial, but not, not sustainable.
1: Correct. And I think people like you and me exist to help make it easier, but neither of us are going to tell our clients that it is easy.
0: Never. Or anybody, my kids, my wife, my clients, my employees, if you want anything that's real, it's supposed to be hard. That's what makes it worth it. Like, I don't know about you, but anytime something comes easy to me, I get bored and and I devalue it very quickly. Correct. Especially something that used to be hard. And then I made it easy, like podcasting or YouTube or whatever. At the beginning, it was hard. Now it's easy. So I don't value it as much. So I have to go challenge myself elsewhere and continue to get out of my comfort zone so that I feel alive. I think, so many people are looking for a comfort retirement. People die after retirement very quickly because they lose purpose.
1: They lose their purpose. They, yeah. lose,
0: they lose purpose, they lose mission, they lose the, the ability to overcome challenges. Is, it's rewarding. And when you lose that, because you try to make your life easy, you tend to start to die a little bit, sometimes spiritually and emotionally, sometimes actually physically. So I don't, I don't want easy you know i want hard because hard is fun and hard is challenging and hard makes me think differently and hard makes me show up better and i have to evolve like one of my core values is continually evolve i want to continue to find ways and look for ways and have ways to get better as a person because that's that's it's fun setting a target doing the work accomplishing it and then resetting a new target is that's part of life and if you're trying to run it any other way no matter what, you can be an entrepreneur, an, an entrepreneur. A, it doesn't matter, a student. It doesn't matter. If you're not chasing something bigger than yourself or an improvement in who you are, you're gonna feel left out. You're gonna feel unworthy. You're gonna feel lost because that's what makes you feel alive.
1: Yeah, That constant and never-ending improvement, can I mindset, constant never-ending improvement. That's what you're chasing and going after. I love it. So you chose an industry, obviously you told us your background, you went into it, you went into roofing, and you kind of stumbled into helping many, many uh, other business owners, entrepreneurs, et cetera, in this industry. But I think in society, we're demonizing some of the blue collar work, whereas we're pitching as a society that we have to go get these four year degrees, graduate college, you and I both college dropouts, or as you said, failed out of college. I say it the nicer way, like I dropped out, like it was my choice, but <laughs> either way, you got kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. I probably got kicked out basically <laughs> by my parents telling me they're not paying for shit if I don't actually go to a class, which was a smart move on their part. But either way there, the society as a whole is saying, go get this four year degree. Go invest in yourself, which is really spending money to these four year colleges and coming out with an infinite amount of debt, earning 40 to 50 grand a year when you could go to trade school and come out potentially earning six figures and higher. But you chose to go into this industry where people are, you know look down upon what are some of the joyous moments that you're seeing in this industry and choosing to work with these rough, you know, quote unquote roughnecks and blue collar workers and exclusively you, your company's killing it. I know the companies you're working with are killing it. Uh, tell us more about that. Cause I want to, I want society as a whole to hear this message.
0: So it's definitely a common theme where, you know, blue collar guys feel like they can only be compensated for the hours they put in. And so one of the biggest, we'll say wins for me in the process of coaches guys is teaching them how to, and that it's okay to become wealthy in a dirty industry, right? Not dirty as in slimy, like dirty as in like, you got to get dirty to win in construction. Like it's a, it's a dirty job. And so helping them understand that, like, it's not just they have to be this hourly employee anymore and that it's okay to become wealthy. It's okay to reimagine what success looks like for your family because they get so stuck into doing the work that they forget to build the life, right? No one starts a business because they want to be a really highly paid employee. They do it because they want freedom. And the difference in what I would say white collar and blue collar is blue collar is very geographically focused, you have to be on a job site to make money. Yeah. Like that's a that, that's part of it. Like you so there's a body has to be somewhere delivering a product or a service in this industry. Most of the time, I'm sure there's, there's there's some outliers like everything. But for the most part, you have to be on a job site. And helping a helping a blue collar business owner realize that they can operate from an office and grow a company and become wealthy and have time for their family you know i'm dealing with a client right now i was actually talking to earlier today you know he'll probably do 13 14 million this year and he's been in business for 14 years and he's going on a vacation next week with his family for the first time in six years wow because he's just been in the business and so for the last three or four months we've been working together i've helped him learn how to create leaders in place and leaders in charge and how to offload and offset and develop strategies and SOPs so that he doesn't have to be in the business every day. His marriage is better. His kids are appreciating him more. He's appreciating himself more. He's healthier because he's able to work out more, but like this dude for the majority of his business life has been dedicated to being in it, doing it, uh, participating in the labor necessary, to execute it. And so for me taking somebody like that, who's built a successful eight figure company, but was not building a successful life. Right. And and, and I'm sure there's white collar guys that overwork themselves in their business, like attorneys and other things. Right. For sure. But I think in this one, because you have to be on a job site, it sometimes is harder to pull away from because you have to be able to trust your guys to do a good job on in your customers. So we primarily focus on residential construction. So like you're in people's homes and like, you have to trust your guys to perform and do their job and follow through and have quality control. And there's a lot that you have to divulge to them to get them there, but it's possible. And so for me, some of the biggest wins is taking a business owner who's stuck in his business and teaching him how to like offload and delegate and outsource and eliminate so he can be on his business and in his life. I say him, I, I deal with women as well. Um, you know, I probably have about a dozen female clients as well. And I think they deal with it even worse because of the you know, female image in the blue collar world is even harder to get ahead in because you're just, in the grand scheme of things, it, women are looked at differently in blue collar than men are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's probably similar similar in a lot of industries, but I think the woman has a little bit more insecurity about it going into a a man's world and trying to win. Um, And so I think helping them, like, you know, I have several female clients that teach them how to be confident in their decision-making, teaching them how to push back and when to push back and when to stand their ground and when to be comfortable and confident with, with something and how to communicate that something to help get a more desired outcome. That's where like, I like creating leaders. Like, I mean, I appreciate your podcast is built around that, but like, I really, really like I get the most enjoyment out of taking, a business owner who's basically just an overpaid employee and turning them into a leader, because then now they're like, now my value is, and my impact is being multiplied through them. Cause I don't, I've never done this for the money. I mean, I literally started doing this not even knowing what it was just to help people. And so like my goal and my mission in life is to make an impact with every conversation I have. Well, if I can take a business owner, such as that one I just referenced, he's got 40 or 50 employees turning him into a leader, now multiplies that impact indefinitely and almost unmeasurably indirectly through the ranks of his company by creating leaders in place and putting them and then turning them into leaders in charge and helping people within his organization build confidence. Cause someone asked me the other day, like what's the number one role of a leader? Well, how would you answer that? How, what would you, what do you, what would your opinion be? What's the number one role of a leader?
1: To instill vil, values, And what's the word I want to use here is basically infusing values to build them up to feel like they can do their job at the highest level possible and lead the organization with or without me.
0: So I I think we're probably saying the same thing. I might say a little differently, like my job as a leader is to make the people that report to me better than they believe they can be. Yeah. Like I want to make people better than they believe they can be to prove to them what they're capable of. Right. So especially as a business owner, when like you feel like you're worth a million bucks, you're going to cap yourself. You're going to make decisions such as you're worth a million bucks. If I can show you how to be worth five million, you'll make different decisions as if you were worth five million. All of a sudden, oh, my God, look, we we five X our company in two years. And so I like helping people and I, I I coach leaders. So but it works for employees as well. My job is to make you better than you believe you can be on your own. That's great. Some of that through organizational skills, communication skills, planning skills, goal setting skills, you know, general, how to develop core values and mission and vision statements, how to plan ahead, how to contingency strategy, how to develop communication and a chain of command within your, your company. Those are things I help people do so that they can start to believe that they are actually more powerful and influential than they believe they are. And that's really where you change somebody's life. When you can show them that they're worth more than they believe they're worth, that is when you unlock just an incredible different human. Like I have some clients, I'm like, damn, I unlocked a monster in that moment. (laughs) Like you go from like kind of insecure to this just like absolute powerhouse of a leader. That's really like, you are changing generations of a family when you do that effectively as a leader.
1: 100%, and you can sit back and smile at the influence that you have, but at the end of the day, they did it. And it's just a lot to be who they truly were meant to be. So you talk about it often, about win fast, win often. I think I want to get to that point. One of the things that came to mind is you and your team are so fitness-oriented. Do you help this industry as well, or the people that you're coaching in that regard? And let me preface this. In college, before I dropped out, or was kicked out, however we want to put it, I was a, a laborer for a mason one summer. Dude was probably 400 pounds. He needed people like me to tug mud, to uh, wheelbarrow uh, mud, to sling bricks, all that different stuff, because he was too fat to do it himself. So he would just sit his, uh, sit on his rump and, and do the work that the mason does. But I did all the labor work. So the industry is quite known as being kind of fast food tobacco oriented on the site, not healthy. in in that regard, I see you and your team busting your ass in the gym working out all the time. I got to imagine that's part of the influence that you're having for those that you coach.
0: So it does end up being a part of it a lot of the time. Um, It really what it starts with is teaching people how to prioritize and utilize time management skill sets. So that they can open up time to do things they're passionate about, right? Because sometimes it's fishing, sometimes it's hunting, sometimes it's hanging out with their kids, sometimes it's golf, sometimes it's fitness, right? And so what we do is we we help people define what a win looks like to them. What does your ideal life look like? What does your impact look like? What do you want? What is the ideal version of you look like? And there's some people that I have their clients, and they they have no interest in becoming more fit. They, they're, they're, they're generally satisfied, but they want to be a happier and more present father or wife or husband, um, maybe friend. Maybe they want to spend more time with their friends because they feel like they've been neglecting them. And so fitness ends up being a part of a lot of people's ideal life. Most people are dissatisfied with their body image and they want to be healthier, or more fit. But it really starts with teaching them how to prioritize and utilize time management to make time for the priorities in their life. Typically when you do that and you start taking away some of the bad habits, like tobacco, marijuana, drinking, things like that. Like I've helped several clients get sober because I could show them what's on the other side of that. And most people, you know, most business owners, and I think you'd probably agree with this are the most successful, wealthy, best in shape person in their circle. And then you get into a bigger pond, right? You spread your wings a little bit. You're like, shit, I'm broke out of shape and fucking miserable. I thought I was happy. What happened? (laughs) And so, you know, typically what happens when you get around a group of like-minded people who are striving to get better, which, you know, we have over a hundred clients now in our program. You know, you get around other people, it's still a very small group, but you realize like you're not alone. Right. And so your desire to want more when everybody around you is like, dude, why aren't you satisfied? You got everything. Why are you not happy? It's because you're not being driven. We talked about earlier. You're not on a mission anymore because you got satisfied and complacent because the majority of the people you're around are okay with that. And that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not here to tell what should or shouldn't make somebody happy, but don't satisfy and don't don't settle and also tell me you're unhappy. You can't have both. You can't be, hey, man, I'm just good where I'm at. Are you happy? Nah, not really. Okay, well, then you're an idiot. Like, keep moving. (laughs) And so, but it starts with... It starts with developing the image I try to get people to answer two questions, two questions, pretty, pretty commonly. It's, who do you want to be when you look in the mirror and what do you want to be known for? Those are the two questions that I like to ask people on a regular basis. And if you can answer those two questions, then your core values, your mission, your journey, decisions in your life, what you are doing, what you're not doing, your habits, your priorities, Your community, everything will change. If you can get clear on those two questions, who do you want to be and what do you want to be known for? Because then like, it's like, you're stuck with you at the end of the night. You know what I mean? Like you're stuck with you. you. You know, the decisions you made today, you know, who you want to be, you know, what you want to represent, you know, what you want to be known for. And you can lie to everybody around you about how well you're doing in that. Well, who you can't lie to is yourself because you know that 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 cigarette that you snuck out to have today or the porn that you watch that you knew you shouldn't have or the girl in the DMs that you've been talking to, that you know, you shouldn't be. No one knows about that shit, but you do. And it destroys who you are and it makes you embarrassed to be out there and go chase things because what if somebody finds out? And so if you can answer those two questions, I can help you develop priorities I can help you time manage more effectively and I can help you accomplish. I said this the other day in a social media post, I said, if you can tell me what you want, I can help you get there. I can't tell you what you want.
1: You know what? I just, so you I, just uncovered, what? you just uncovered why good men and women for that matter don't run for political office.
0: Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent because there's, they're, they're afraid of that person that might get uncovered. Well, if yep. you live, to your values, if you live up to who you want to be and what you want to be known for in every decision, whether people are watching or not, it's people don't get cocky. They just get unafraid of you finding out the truth. I'm not like you could come at me, look behind the fucking curtains. I'm not afraid of it. Like, do I yell at my wife sometimes? Yes. Do I yell at my kids sometimes? Yes. Am I proud of it? No, but I'm also not afraid to talk about it because talking about it allows me to evolve and get better you know, my wife and I, I think are an example of what really, really well communicated couples can look like because we both fail, but we've gotten really good at understanding how to talk through those things and, and, and evolve and learn and, and be okay saying, Hey, I'm just not happy right now. Or you did this and it really bothered me. Or, Hey, when you said this or did this, this is how it made me feel like that allows me to like, be open and be comfortable and be confident. Cause I'm not trying to hide anything. Like I have wants and she has wants and that's okay. People are so afraid to ask for what they actually want in life. Cause they're afraid of what people might say about it. But then they like hate the life they built because they've never actually asked for what they actually want. Like, if you know, for a fact, you like when your wife does that one thing, tell her you like it when she does that one thing, <laughs> don't like, don't ask her to read your fucking mind and figure out what you want without telling her.
1: And conversely, if she does, if you like to, if you don't like something, she does tell her that
0: hundred percent, a hundred percent.
1: It's a great so dichotomy.
0: When you look at it from that perspective of, if you can tell me what you want, I can help you get there because I'm really good at the strategies around time management, prioritization, communication of of initiatives, development of initiatives, understanding strengths and weaknesses, and how to develop strategies around both of those things to get your team on board and how to be an open, vulnerable and authentic leader are things I'm really good at teaching people.
1: Do you find that most people know what they want?
0: No, most people don't. I've experienced that as well. they can say, I want a nicer house. Well, what does a nicer house mean? I don't know, bigger. Well, how much bigger, right? Or like, I want to be fitter. Well, what does that mean? I want to be happy. How, what does that, how, what makes you happy? I don't know. You know, like, so I think people have an image that they can measure themselves to, whether it's stuff, wealth, cars, relationships, whatever, they have an image they can relate themselves to, but they can't actually tell you what they would want to be in that, in that new, we'll say that new level. Yeah, And so what, what I, I actually use jealousy as a tactic here. Um, <laughs> what I say is, if you can't tell me what you want, tell me what makes you jealous. Oh. Because that, that's your body telling you you want it. So jealousy, in my opinion, is not a negative emotion unless you allow it to allow negativity into your life. Like, that's how I can tell you right now. I don't give a fuck about boats, planes, Lamborghinis. None of that shit makes me jealous. You know what makes me jealous? freedom of time i like hiring people to do shit i don't want to do when i see somebody with a driver or a private chef or a nanny or a housekeeper that shit makes me jealous so you know what i did i went out and did those things i have a i have an average i don't want to say an average car. i have a really nice muscle car but i don't need a three hundred thousand dollar vehicle i'm i'm happy with my f250 and my my challenger hellcat i'm perfectly satisfied with that that's my happiness but mike don't you want like a, an exotic no, it, I don't want an exotic. I want I want Mia. Mia's incredible. Mia's, Mia's our nanny. Mia's fucking kicks ass. I will spend a couple thousand dollars a month on Mia before I ever buy a fucking exotic car. But because that's what winning for me looks like. You talk about win fast, win often. I think people are afraid to define what winning looks like to them so they never get there. But this is my journey. This is my life. Yep. I, can, I can define what winning looks like to me. And so that's many so people good. are afraid to say that and just be it And so an example, we, my wife and I sold our house in 2019 and moved into a townhouse so that we could reinvest everything back in the business and get rid of all of our debt. So like, there was a little bit of imposter syndrome there and a little bit of, of embarrassment of like, I'm a successful business coach living in a fucking townhouse, but I did all of that. So I could buy this house and I'm not bragging I'm not trying to brag, but we just bought a 7,000 square foot house on three and a half acres. I'm putting in a $250,000 pool right now. I lived in a townhouse for almost three years. So I could do this because how many
1: people would be willing to do that?
0: No one, because they're, they're embarrassed or afraid or, or, or just like, I'm not, I'm not downgrading. Okay, cool. Then you're never going to upgrade. And so I'm not afraid to like go all in on what winning looks like to me so that I can spend my money the way I want. That's so, yeah, I lived in a townhouse and drove paid off cars for a couple of years. But that's so I could have this house. I didn't know this house existed when we made that plan. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it when we made that plan. But I can tell you if we wouldn't have done that, we wouldn't have it.
1: And you took the necessary steps and sacrificed and worked your ass off. And now you get to do the things you want to do.
0: And it's a stepping stone. It's not a destination. Like this is now where my, this is the next base camp. If I'm going up Mount Everest, now I'm going to sit here for a little bit. We're going to acclimate. I'm gonna go make a bigger impact some way between the nonprofit we started and the way that we're approaching our team right now and the way that the mission is growing. This is just a base camp along the journey. This is not the, 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 this is not the peak. This is not the top. And it's just, this is base camp two. Like I have plenty of growth to happen, plenty of, plenty of growth to go, but like, I, we wanted a big house on land because we wanted to homeschool our kids. We work from home. We live from home. We wanted space. Yeah. And so, and so we, and we did everything as a couple because we were on the same page about what is winning look like to us. What is our ideal lifestyle look like as a family? And then we went and manufactured the shit out of that. You know, like one of the steps was last year, I had to retire my wife at 30 years old. My wife doesn't have to work anymore. She works for the business now cause she's passing out the mission, but I couldn't, like one of our things was like, we literally built a vision board six years ago that we have checked every box on
1: time for Everyone. a new vision board, brother.
0: We're on it. So every quarter, my wife and I do a SWOT analysis of our life and marriage. And one of our biggest threats right now is we're struggling, dreaming bigger. Mm. So like, we're going to sit here and we're going to acclimate to the, cause we're only like two months into this house. Like we're still getting settled right? The pool's not done yet. It's still under construction. Like there's still a lot of moving parts. So our plan right now is is to spend the next couple of months, just acclimating to this new level. So we can have more of a, we'll say a, a firm foundation for us to dream bigger, because right now, one of the biggest threats in our life is it's hard for us to dream bigger than this, because this is everything we could have imagined our life to be. And, and that's scary because of everything we talked about today, about having that mission. So now the mission is less stuff and more experience and impact. So I started like my next vision board list. It's significantly more impact and experience driven than material things like the house, we got the cars, we got the, like the lifestyle. We got the nanny, we got like the housekeeper we got. So we, we checked a lot of the, we'll say materialistic things. Now that we have those, the, the next list and the next vision board will be much more impact and experience driven. The traveling we want to do with the, with our boys, you know, the impact we want to make, the stages I want to be on, um, you know, the, the, the general approach to how we're going to be viewed in life as a member of our community. Like that's all part of the next vision board because we got a lot of the foundational stuff in place. Now we get to go out and make a massive impact.
1: You brought up your... Uh charitable organization. Let's talk about that briefly. Cause you just made a big impact. Uh, is it champion shoes? Did I get that? Correct?
0: Yep. Yeah. Champion shoes.
1: So champion shoes, tell us about that where the audience can potentially, you know, help you out on your mission because it was really cool. Yeah. And I was watching your Facebook post. as that happened.
0: So we started champion shoes, uh, November of 2020. Um, it kind of started, I'll, I'll tell you the whole story. We, we got enough time. Um, Every, at the end of every year, Tiffany and I, my wife, we do what we call the balancing of our blessings, where we we give back at the end of the year, and we'll say in in a contribution equal to our blessings from that year. And early on in our marriage, it was like volunteer time because we didn't have any money. And then we started, like, giving checks to the church or other organizations. Well, in 2020, I wanted to get the kids involved. And, um, you know, writing a check, the kids don't really grasp that. And so we were on a family walk. Uh, it was, like, late fall in 2020. As a family, and I asked MJ, my oldest, who was four at the time, like MJ, what do you love right now? And like most four-year-old, it's like the closest thing to their face. Right? He's like, I love, I love my new shoes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what if, what if Dad, what if Dad and you go spend, go go buy a hundred pairs of shoes? You know, we'll take five thousand dollars. We'll spend fifty dollars per pair on average. Let's go buy a hundred pairs of shoes and give them to the kids that can't get new shoes like you have. And he's like, Oh, that'd be awesome. We can get them the red ones. It was like a really cool family moment, right? And I was driving home from the gym, probably a month later. And, uh, this is like October, 2020, September, October, 2020. And I remember thinking like, why am I limiting it to hundred pairs? And why am I limiting it to one year? Like, that's not how Mike Claudio does things. And so I literally got home from the gym and Googled how to start a nonprofit and just followed the steps. Like I literally just Googled it. Step one done. It took probably six weeks to go through the whole process. And uh, we launched officially Black Friday, 2020. And between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we raised like $35,000 and sent out over 500 pairs of shoes to kids. We, we, we uh, collect children through organizations like Big Brother, Big Sister, Boys and Girls Club, churches, schools, that kind of stuff. And I was like, shit, okay, people are passionate about this. And so like 2021, we kind of got our feet about us. Um, and then this year we hired an executive director an events and volunteer coordinator to really take it to the next level because like Tiff and I don't make money from this. You know, we raised a little over 200, we raised a little over $200,000 last year and we sent out probably 2,500 pairs of shoes last year. And we said, we got to take this to the next level. Like that's just, we have to evolve, right? We have to impact, increase the mission. And so we hired some people this year and we're going to do over 2000 pairs of shoes just for back to school this summer.
1: That's awesome. I I
0: placed. I placed an order for about, um, I think it was like 1900 pairs with Academy sports. So Academy sports has become one of our primary supporters of the mission. And so they help us get good pricing on shoes. Um, but I, we placed an order with them for almost, you know, almost 2000 pairs of shoes and every pair gets wrapped. Every pair gets a handwritten note that says, we believe you were capable go be a champion. Like my image on that is if I can get one kid to take that handwritten note and put it in their bathroom mirror and believe and have hope that they can fucking accomplish something in their life, it's worth the whole thing. Because there's what I have found in in learning about these stories and these kids and these families is there's just a lot of lack of hope and and a lot of lack of, of, of capacity and capability. Like they just don't think that they're worth anything. And I, I hate to say it that way, but like, that's how these kids feel because they don't have anything to show them that they are worth something. And so if I can get one kid to read that note, that says, we believe you are capable, go be a champion. And it impacts their life. And they get to walk into school this year with a brand new pair of shoes for the first time maybe ever in their lives. And like that, I, I truly believe there's nothing that replicates the confidence that comes from putting on a new pair of shoes. Like there's just nothing that feels like that. Like you, you put them on, you stand up. I don't care how old you are, you put on a new pair of shoes, you feel different. Yeah. So We, we, we deliver that to, to the kids all over the country and you know, we're not, we're not regionally focused or anything. You know, we live, we live in the Carolinas, but we, 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 we ship all over the country to organizations who have kids in need. And, you know, we, we raise money from, you know, people like yourself and, and other entrepreneurs that, that are in our, our ecosystem. And, you know, so if you want to learn more, if you go to a that's the website. Um, and that's, it talks a lot about who we are and what we're about and the the mission that we're on.
1: No, I love it. And you're having such a big impact and you're right. Uh, I paused for a second because I was thinking about, I literally just bought three pairs of shoes because they're half off, honestly, but they're also my favorite kind of shoes. And I remember putting them on. One of them was a running shoe. First time I went running in them, I was like, man, these feel good. It wasn't even that I look good. Of course, I probably look good, but that felt good putting those shoes on. So I feel it in the kids that, you know, have only had hand-me-downs, hand-me-downs their whole life or just have not been able to get new shoes, to be able to put those shoes on, to go to school with confidence, and most importantly, to get that note from you. Uh, maybe they've never heard those words in their life. Uh, that is really cool, Mike. So yeah, no, great work.
0: It's about the impact more than anything, but you know, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the entrepreneurial space who can remember not having anything, even in their entrepreneurial journey, you know, at some point they like couldn't afford basic shit. Um, you know, even for us, you know, like we used to have to penny pinch down to the dollar for grocery shopping. We used to have to penny pinch on gas. You know, there was a time when like we you would run our card and like, we weren't sure if it was gonna go through or not. We, like, if you've not been through that, you haven't, yeah lived
1: referrals are on top of mind for me all the time and it's in any business and I've heard you speak about the power of referrals Uh, and I I did that a lot in the financial industry and I coach a lot of advisors and that that referral pipeline never dies so whether you're in the financial industry the construction industry um, leads are always at the top can you talk more about what it means to beat your consumer to Google
0: No, that's one of my favorite things to say. Like you want to beat the algorithm, beat, beat, beat your consumer to Google. So if you look at how we'll say the average consumer judges, their buying comfortability. They typically ask friends and family first. They look for somebody who's done something similar and said, who did you use? Did you like them? And so that can go for you or against you, right? Like bad referrals can ruin a company pretty quickly right like when you know if you have if you have a bad customer experience as a standard or you don't communicate proactively or you don't call people back that word's going to get around just as much as if you do and so my opinion like i when i when i first joined those smaller construction companies there wasn't a marketing budget so i couldn't go buy leads or build funnels or run ads i had to go pound the pavement build relationships and that's that's how and i'm not against advertising and funnels and and lead purchasing i just think it's a very low end customer base and i'm not judging the customers but like do you really want to do business with the person who doesn't have a friend to ask like really (laughs) like that type of client you want is the one who's going to the internet because they don't have a friend to ask and and for different things right like I, i think you know referrals are more difficult in the service world like let's say a a, a HVAC company, right? When, if someone's HVAC goes out, they might call somebody, but they're probably going to Google it. That's a little bit of a harder environment, but if it's more of an elective service like kitchen remodel, getting a roof replaced, a deck, a pool, a financial advisor, like they're electing to do that. They're going to do more due diligence over longer periods of time. And they're going to ask more people. And if you don't believe me, ask yourself, When you want to buy something, do you ask somebody or do you Google it first? And you might Google it first, but then you're still asking some people before making a final decision. If that's how you make a decision. I mean, how many times have you Googled somebody asked a friend about it? Like, oh yeah, you don't want to do business with them. You're going to go based on your friend's referral, not the hundred five-star reviews that Google has. And so I want to get to the people who are in a trusted advisory role of my ideal client. Right. So for you, it might be CPA, as a financial advisor it might be CPAs, right? I want to go to the CPAs who focus on business accounts because those are the type of clients I want. And when that client says, Hey, who should I use for financial advising? They're going to, they're going to take the recommendation of their CPA because that CPA is already in a trusted advisory role for that end user. Yeah. So I like targeting people who are in a trusted advisory role of my ideal client. Right. If we're looking at homeowners, that's my, that's, you know, ideal residential construction real estate agents, um, financial advisors. Those are great. You know, like if you look at, if you're a higher ticket contractor and you're looking for higher, let's say multi six figure projects, that 45 to 65 year old ideal client of yours is probably not Googling it or asking a friend. They're probably going to their financial advisor saying, Hey, what's the best way for me to put 300 grand into my house. Right? So I started targeting financials advisors saying, Hey, do any of your clients ever ask about, what's the best way or who's the best contractor to do a large scale remodel on their existing home. Great. I'd love to see if we can do business together and see if you feel comfortable enough to refer your clients to me. I did that successfully for years because my ideal client, this was probably, you know, almost 10 years ago that 45 to 65 year old wasn't on in the internet yet. They weren't on social media 10 years ago as much as they are now. Yep. And so how do I get to them? Well, who are they asking? Their financial advisor was at the top of that list because they want to know how to spend that money correctly. So I want to beat you to Google. And that's how I beat all my competition. That's spending all that money on Google because referrals are free. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything other than just being a good, consistent person. If you can do that, you'll win. If you can't change, get better. I
1: would say two things that to reiterate your point. Your network is your net worth and you're leveraging your network leverage is the second point that I want to hit on there. This is what wealthy people do to win as they leverage, not just their money. A lot of times when people think about leverage is leveraging my portfolio, leveraging equity in my home, the best and the wealthiest people leverage their network to be a connector, to build that trust as in Mike's scenario here, to find, not only build a trust, but to find referrals before Google does. So and Google, by the way, is selling ads and selling and there's companies, their search engine optimization, SEO companies that are selling their services to put you on the top of the Google list. Mike just told you a way to beat all of that.
0: Yeah, it's just how my ideal client makes a decision. They're going to ask a friend or family member as part of their discovery phase. And I want those people to know me by name and tell them why they would want to wait and be very diligent in uh, making sure they know the value of doing business with me.
1: Well, Mike, I want to be respectful of your time. We've hit on so many awesome points today. Some really practical stuff that Mr. Claudio said, vision board, quarterly meetings with his spouse, Two things that not enough people are doing. I know this as a coach and as a friend of people that I just have serious conversations with. I know that's not happening, and those are two very practical things that Mike brought up. A very successful individual that's worked with his spouse in business and having a successful family in the household, it works. So those are a couple practical things. We talked about how to beat Google We talked about how to be passionate and purposeful. So, Mike, last question as we part today. I want to turn it on you. What do you want to be remembered for?
0: The example of a champion in everything I do.
1: Awesome. And I know you're living that as we speak, not only through your charity, but how you're impacting your clients, the people that work for you, Uh, me, you've been helpful to me as I started this new journey as well, our Arte brothers and sisters that anytime they, they reach out, I know you're picking up that phone. So, man, you are not only just a great person, you're an example to everything that you're saying. So I really appreciate you.
0: I appreciate you having me on, man. I appreciate the conversation. And uh, if I can do anything to help you in your journey, you know, I'm just a phone call away, bud.
1: Appreciate that. Tell the audience where they can follow the big stud. I keep saying the big stud. I didn't say it. it's the big stud podcast, the big yeah, stud so, himself, uh, Mike Claudio, but where else can they follow you and find you?
0: So the big stud podcast, if you go, it's at win consulting on Instagram, but if you just go to mikeclaudio.com That's where you'll find the links. So my YouTube channel, my podcast, my websites, my mission, all that stuff. So MikeClaudio.com is probably the best single point research. But if you want to follow me on Instagram at WinRateConsulting and then the Big Stud Podcast, if you're into podcasts, which you obviously are because you're listening to this, hop over there and give it a (laughs) listen. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and uh, engage with you. So if you're listening, let me know.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so again, Mike. And for everyone listening, as always, remember, good and great are the enemy of possible. Well, until next time, have a great week.